0: Now, Asia First on CNA 938. We are going to travel to Europe. Uh, French President Emmanuel Macron making headlines and also uh, facing uneasy reactions from European allies. This is, of course, after his remark that no options should be excluded in trying
1: to avert a Russian victory in Ukraine. What did it mean, really, right? Yeah, so taking it then to mean deploying troops to the war zone, the US, the UK, Germany and others have all distanced themselves from any such suggestion. Uh, by suggesting this possibility of sending Western troops to Ukraine, uh, President Macron has actually broken a major taboo in the high-stakes showdown with Russia.
0: Yep, uh, Kremlin spokesperson responded, uh, Dmitry Peskov warning that any troop deployment by NATO to Ukraine would mean engaging Russia in direct conflict. For more on what could happen next, we're speaking now with Alexei Muraviev, Associate Professor for National Security and and Strategic Studies at Curtin University. Professor Muraviev, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, the first question we wanted to ask you was, what do you think prompted President Macron to make such a bold statement that could be so easily and publicly contradicted? Was Doesn't sound like a gaffe at all, does it?
2: Well, I would probably answer in in two ways. One, there's obviously been a long-standing conversation between NATO and my allies about next steps on on ensuring Ukraine doesn't lose in the war. And this conversation apparently uh, wasn't triggered recently, but was was part of the ongoing conversation. But the immediate trigger point why it happened now, I think, is driven by two factors. First, Um, The Russians broke through Ukrainian defenses. They captured a number of strategic uh, uh, strongholds, including the the, uh, Sputnik uh, town uh, to Ukraine's largest city in eastern Ukraine, Donetsk, called Abdiivka. And and that was considered to be a a significant blow to Ukrainian defenses in the east of the country. And more importantly, and I think it's also—there is a fact that here is—today, Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, will deliver his annual address to uh, the federal assembly. And I think Macron was actually trying to send this blunt warning to Putin about uh, um, and not escalating the conflict further or not taking more of the Ukrainian territory by effectively um, um, making this bolt red that NATO may actually send its troops on the ground.
1: Well, Russia has actually warned of consequences if Western troops are deployed to Ukraine. Professor, how dire is the scenario if Russia does act on its word?
2: Well, it would it would be a, a, a considerable escalation. I mean, the Russians are already claiming that NATO forces are in Ukraine in disguise, and it's almost like one of those proxy conflicts that we remember occurring during the Cold War, when the Soviets and Americans were fighting each other, pretending not, neither side were there. Um, so, I, I don't think it's it's a it's a massive game game changer for the Russians because psychologically they were uh, they have prepared themselves for. Eventually confronting NATO. Um, that the question is how they're going to respond to it. And obviously, the Russians bring in the nuclear dimension here, whether it's going to be an immediate and uh, response. Uh, well, I would probably doubt. I mean, it would depend on, on how NATO will behave. And and I think already there's been some steps to sort of mitigate Macron's remarks, simply saying, well, they're not going to go to the front line. They will not have the mandate to fight the Russians. It's all really well. But what if NATO soldiers will come under Russia's attack and, and whether NATO will be compelled to respond or so that they would just pretend that it's one of those unfortunate incidents. So this is the gray zone where we can make multiple guesses, and many of them actually not, uh, not, not, won't prove to be accurate, because we haven't had this situation since, obviously, the, the, the heights of the Cold War confrontation.
0: Exactly. I was about to bring in that comparison as well. It really feels like we're in the middle of that standoff of who will shoot first. Um, And on that note, I wanted to ask also, does Europe, knowing that um, they are starting to shore up their own defense uh, troops and their own defenses and uh, strengthening their own defenses uh, because they, they know they can't rely on the US anymore or less so rather, Does Europe actually have the capacity to help Ukraine more than it already has? What could this potential help look like as well?
2: Uh, The short answer is no in the immediate to medium term future. Europe is pretty defenceless without the United States. I recognize it's a bold statement. I recognize it's an uncomfortable statement, but that's the state of reality. Europe was busy disarming itself. Uh, Europe was busy underspending on, on defense matters, uh, living happily under the umbrella of the United States in terms of conventional military power, and suddenly extended uh, deterrence or nuclear capability, and Europe is now paying the price because uh, it. On on paper, it looks like the world's largest military alliance. In reality, when Europe scra- uh, struggled to pre- uh, to supply Ukraine. Uh, With tanks, and it seems like Russia can single-handedly double the 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 the, the production of its main battle tanks, leave alone artillery shells, leave alone other other unammunition items. So one a single Russian economy under severe severe uh, sanctions regime is outperforming the combined defense but industrial potential of Europe. Well, I think this is something. Uh, that is quite telling. And I think the Europeans are gradually waking up to this new cold reality. Can they stand on their own? I, I seriously doubt that uh, in, in in the near to medium term future, because they have become so dependent and so over-reliant on the United States. Uh, then they now recognize they may end up being a hostage of the potential um, CHANGING THE WINE HOUSE, BECAUSE IT WAS DONALD TRUMP WHO WAS bluntly TELLING THE EUROPEANS, EITHER YOU PAY FOR YOUR SECURITY OR YOU WILL LOSE THAT SECURITY. SO I THINK THE EUROPEANS MAY BE TAKING STEPS IN THE DIRECTION, BUT IT will TAKE YEARS FOR THEM TO START FEELING MORE OR LESS OKAY. SO THE, the CASE OF THEM SUPPORTING UKRAINE, I THINK THEY HAVE ALREADY EXHAUSTED THEIR CAPACITY. Uh, IN TERMS OF uh, TRYING TO uh, DEVELOP SOME SORT OF INDEPENDENT DEFENSE CAPABILITY, AGAIN, This is something that is over the
1: horizon for them. U.S. President Biden is also pushing for more aid, and he's warned congressional leaders of the serious consequences of not helping Ukraine. On top of that, the leaders of 23 European parliamentary chambers have also sent a letter to U.S. House Representative Mike Johnson, urging him to provide Kyiv with funds that it needs. What other paths, Professor, can President Biden take to get military funding for Ukraine?
2: well it's it's really difficult because i think uh, president biden kind of drummed himself in the corner by uh, by placing ukraine matter on top of everything else we don't hear him talking about say the defense of taiwan or a defense of south korea or or japan as much or in the same context as he's talking about the war in Ukraine, and and obviously, by considering the the, the situation at home, the the, the, the border security crisis, uh, now natural disaster crisis, uh, it's 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 certainly something that I think um, is, is is well I, I I cannot say because I'm not an expert on U.S. domestic politics maybe creating a backfiring effect, but when you talk too much and overtalk the matter it can it can actually create a bit of a backlash because people will start be, becoming tired of your constant nagging and your constant lean and and everything else and obviously we need to recognize Ukraine has become an essential element of Biden's election campaign and i think everyone recognizes it certainly the decision makers recognize that and 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 um, even if Bi- biden will survive this presidential race what's the guarantee that he's not going to gradually change his mind after he would return back or stay in, in, in the White House. If he will lose it to the Republicans, well, there is a risk that Ukraine will once again become secondary issue, as it did under under Donald Trump after 2016. So I I, I think uh, Biden, on one hand, uh, sort of is trying to do something that looks like uh, a continuation of his of his cause or even crusade. Um, uh, but on the other hand, is is getting more and more political. Is getting more and more kind of um, uh, too 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 much and uh, overtaking the matter. And it also highlights this this uh, sort of issue of well, Biden has become uh, or his administration has become hostage of, of the internal quarrels with the legislative branch of the U.S. power. Is it it, it a demonstration of some sort of a weakness? Are we seeing cracks in the system or something like that? Just like Macron's controversial remarks and an immediate response from a number of key European leaders um, uh, exposed the disagreements within within NATO. So I think we're actually observing something uh, that may be sending more and more positive signals towards the Kremlin.
0: Indeed, Professor Muraviev, uh, these have been excellent points to make and we are glad uh, that you were able to join us this morning on Asia First to walk us through them. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. That's Alexei Muraviev giving us his insights on the Russia-Ukraine war as it stands. He is Associate Professor of National Security and Strategic Studies at Curtin University.